0: Hello, I'm Tony Collins and this is the Rugby Reloaded Podcast. My guest today is John Bell, former Huddersfield Giants player and now a counsellor and psychotherapist. John has recently completed a thesis on tackling the perception of vulnerability in rugby league, which looks at how the masculine culture of rugby league leads to vulnerability being seen as a weakness in the game. John's thesis looks at how masculine identity forces rugby league players to adopt a pose of invincibility and invulnerability, both on and off the pitch. His work offers many insights into the mental health crisis that rugby league and many other sports is currently facing. But as we'll find out in the course of the discussion, the roots of many of these issues are not just found in the culture and history of rugby league, but also in the society that created it. So welcome to the show, John. Great to have you on.
1: Thank you, Tony. Thanks for having me on.
0: To start at the beginning, um, your thesis looks at vulnerability in,
1: in male rugby league. Can you explain what that means? Absolutely. Um, to explain what that means, I have to also sort of posit the idea that vulnerability, as it's seen in society, is possibly incorrect or is certainly skewed. The idea that vulnerability um, is a weakness, and that's something that's prevalent within society. And if you, if you right-click on the word vulnerability, um, in Microsoft Word, drop down the first synonym is, is, is weakness. And so um, the idea that vulnerability is a weakness is, is a wholly unhealthy, and certainly within society and brought, and specifically within rugby league, is, is an issue. And so in terms of approaching this, I was determined to approach the, the subject or, or the question of vulnerability with a new slant on the idea and, and bring that to rugby league and look at if, if vulnerability couldn't be reframed within the sport, so I, I, I take I take the uh, the researcher and author and brenny Brown's theory of vulnerability being risk, being authenticity, putting yourself out there with no guarantee of reward as being as being the theory which I, I, or the idea of vulnerability which I want to look at, and actually what I had to do was first of all understand what the pre-existing idea of vulnerability was and I found that it was entrenched in a lot of old ideas of weakness and traditions um, around um, toxic masculinity I guess we would call it now around ideas within the working class around ideas um, from those um, within certain areas in 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 the north which I obviously grew up in where certain things around mental health and and beliefs weren't talked about And, and so I had to really I had to really understand that it wasn't just about the game of rugby league, but it was about where we came from as well that had created and fostered this idea that weakness uh, was, was never welcome and that vulnerability as a, as a byword or certainly as a representative of weakness was not welcome in rugby league. It wasn't welcome in changing rooms. Wasn't well, it's certainly not welcome on the field. And that's a distinction I had to make because a number of my panel, and I'll talk about a panel in a minute, Another of my panel said, we don't want rugby league to change. Rugby league is an invulnerable sport and should be. And I personally wholeheartedly completely agree. Rugby league should be invulnerable, as, as we've discussed before. Uh, rugby league is an examination of two, of two elite groups of, of, of men or women going, going at it. And weakness ultimately um, can be the difference or defensive weakness or a, a, a poor tackle can be the difference between winning and losing. And so no one wants the game to change. It was about the idea that what we do is we co-opt the idea of invulnerability as is on the field and we allow it to trickle into our lives. And people leading vulnerable lives leads to crisis because, as Brené Brown says, and I certainly said to a number of people, do vulnerability or vulnerability will do you. It's about creating a life that's authentic, but also is full of opportunities to examine a wider life outside of rugby league and and when we l- lead such a strenuous and stressful and demanding life as the as a rugby league player does, that can be really quite difficult
0: just to kind of roll back slightly that obviously you come from a rugby league background what what's your what, what led you to your interest in psychotherapy and vulnerability Where, where, where does that come from
1: psychotherapy um has it felt at the time very much and I don't know how true it is now looking back or whether it was something that I just felt compelled to do but it felt very much an extension of my time as a teacher an English and history teacher where working with young people um, in order to get the best from them, required um becoming a de facto counsellor to be quite honest and in order to get kids to learn about the things I needed them to learn I needed to understand what made them tick what barriers to learning were there and so I had a um, and a therapist hat on in all but name, really, throughout a, long, a lot of my teaching career. The, of rugby league, the examination of rugby league within that, once I decided that I wanted to be trained and become a psychotherapist, um, felt like I was returning home to unfinished business. Now, there's a theory, there's, there's a, a, a modality of psychotherapy called gestalt therapy that says that people move in circles and we complete the circle in order to get a sense of um, both who we are, and a sense of completion and achievement. And I had something called a fixed gestalt where I wasn't—I wasn't quite done with rugby league. I'd, I'd left the game, um, a game that I loved, a game that I, you know, I still look back on now in hindsight and feel like I've achieved a lot more than a, a number of people who want to go and pick, put boots on.
0: Yeah, you played to a pretty high level, didn't you?
1: Played to a high level. I played of Great Britain. I, I played for my county, which. In the midst of signing professional, it's still probably the thing that I'm, I'm most proud of, play, even playing, playing for Balla at Yorkshire. You know, I, it's, still hugely, it's still a huge source of pride for me. Um, and then obviously went on to play academy and second team with Huddersfield, which was less enjoyable. And certainly, you know, a lot of injury involved in that as well. But in the midst of leaving, like a lot of people do, they still leave. If you can leave a professional sport with any amount of satisfaction, you belong to a rare breed of people. You really do. There's always something there which makes makes you want to go back. And there were certain issues around my injury and issues around interpersonal relationships that I had there, and my own sense of authenticity and who I was, and permission to be myself or not, as the case may be. Um, which left left me with a few questions. The exam you know, the the, the clinical. Um, approach to vulnerability and the idea that you know in being vulnerable in speaking out about who we are what our identity is we are being authentic that really resonated with me both as a human doing my studies but also as a practitioner extending that into a way in which I could also conceptualize vulnerability and look at it in rugby league and think actually how much permission is there in the game to be yourself and how many outlets are provided in order to, for the game to be something that we do? Now, when we're signed, we're signed because we do that better than most people. But we come with a hell of a lot of baggage. We come with our idiosyncrasies. We come with our other interests. We come with our academia. We come with our, our lived life, our experienced world. We may come with, with, with some difficulties from our background. We may come as, as pe- you know, people who have experienced abuse. We may come with lack of role models. We come with our baggage and if the environment in which we are playing our trade and trying to perform our excellence on the field is not considerate, is not empathic of our experiences as humans, eventually vulnerability will do us. We will be squeezed. Either we won't actualise, we won't become the athlete that we always thought we were going to be, or we'll experience real difficulties. And so the environment and rugby league environments need to be empathic and considerate of where we pick our players from. and so. I thought that the the examination of vulnerability and how authentic players can actually be in an in an environment which asks one hundred and ten percent of everyone that goes into it. it would be quite an interesting study.
0: other sports have issues around this partly because of you know there's greater, there's greater scrutiny of, of, of mental health problems in in sport in general uh also sports that share you know a similar sort of uh hyper masculine environment as rugby league but it does seem that in rugby league these issues are in a sense much more raw and much more openly expressed than what they are in other sports because and I you know and this is kind of where the the podcast with its emphasis on history intersects with what what you're trying to do. A lot of that seems. A lot of the reasons for the problems that players have and people in the game in general have with issues like vulnerability and masculinity at a broader level, they're related to where the game comes from and where its roots are. It's and that makes it different from dealing with mental health issues in, for example, soccer or rugby union.
1: Yeah, I think that. I think that's. I think that's true. Um, And I can only speak from my own experience of my background, but I certainly feel as a 41-year-old man that I live two northern lives, really. I live the one that I grew up in, the, the 80s and 90s, where conversations around vulnerability and mental health simply didn't happen. And the one which I now inhabit, where those conversations are starting to happen. So I, th- I feel like my, my life's going kind to of span those two o- o- almost Equidistant really, certainly, from my sort of mid mid to late twenties conversations were happening, and now we find that these conversations are happening a lot more but i I never considered my in my inabilities, my weaknesses, my poor performances, my fear to be anything apart from an indictment on me and and that is wholly that is that that was absolutely the responsibility with those issues was very much on me, and the idea that anyone else was experiencing them was absolutely that wasn't considered and so there was the idea that what you do is you push that stuff down you get out there you perform come rain or shine we don't talk about this we don't talk about that uh, everything else is interpreted anything else is interpreted as weakness you're not focused and putting your hand up and saying i can't i i will i once and, and, and I, I i when i've early sat in Fordersfield, I got brought off at halftime. I wasn't performing very well at all. I, I just didn't feel confident at all. I'd made God knows how many tackles. And I and we had the team huddle. And it's the first time I ever couldn't do it. I couldn't get up to put my hand in that circle. And I got absolutely torn to pieces. And I partly understand why I did, to be quite honest. I just couldn't do it. I just felt like my mental health and my experience only belonged to me because there wasn't permission for people to discuss it and that's very much woven into the traditional uh ways in which as as young men and women we were brought up and we were were assigned we were assigned responsibilities around masculinity and femininity but more than that i i realized that so many people were going through what i was going through and now what we're starting to see is a shift, a real shift through organisations, to as Rugby League Care. So we're doing so much with comparatively so little uh, compared to other sports. And we're seeing rugby players speak out now. And I think part of, part of the crisis is, is, is that people are going through some really difficult times. And that the career after Rugby League can be a dicey one, if not managed well. And, and once again, Care's are doing some great work around that. But also we're seeing more people speak out. Um look, I don't remember anyone as a fan standing on the terraces at Oddsall, anyone who who played spoke out about their mental health. It just didn't happen. And, and now we're seeing more of it. And so it's about whether this is this is about bigger issues or with more issues for people or whether we are just finding avenues through which people can speak out and express themselves. And we know that since since the loss of Terry Newton, there has been a number of sliding doors moments with a number of players, you know, recently, Callum Watkins speaking about his mental health, where he was on the brink of suicide. And yet was not only able to thank God, you know, bring himself around from that and continue to play and excel in the sport, but also find find the, find the avenues and find the audience and find the mediums through which he can speak about that. that simply wouldn't have happened 20 years ago. And so whilst we are having to deal with issues and, deal with mental health within a sport that um, brings its players from socioeconomic and historically masculine to the point of toxic masculine environments. We're we're challenging that now, and I think that's really encouraging.
0: Well, I mean, the other example is, a kind of negative example, is the George Williams saga in in Canberra, where he's been suffering from homesickness, which is basically a form of depression, and he's been absolutely murdered in the press for that. Uh, and the club has the club has let him go. I and mean, we obviously we don't know the details, but the club has basically cast him aside. So it, it's, that's an interesting contrast. Um, but also, the other the other thing as a as a broader issue is that clearly, and I'd be interested in your in your take on this because clearly there is far more awareness of mental health issues within well within society, but particularly within rugby league. Over the last maybe five, ten years max, but it's also, um, in a sense, that's also been the time when, if you like, the last vestiges of that industrial world that we come from disappeared, and which is where a lot of these attitudes were come from. Because obviously, to um, to keep working, to do the things that you know men in industrial society did. Uh, in terms of earning a wage, keeping a job, you know, providing for your family, all the, the these traditional um, ideas about what masculinity was, that's kind of finally disappeared because there is no industry anymore in the North. And I wondered whether that, how direct the link between the fact we're now living, living in a very different society than we were 30, 40 years ago, how much of a difference that's made to people coming to terms and speaking out uh, on issues of mental health?
1: Well, I think there's been I think there's been a globalisation uh, around mental mental health, a globalised approach to mental health that I think we would be both um, we'd be in denial not to acknowledge, but also I think we'd, we we will be silly not to embrace really. And rugby league as a sport that wants to continue to grow, despite its best efforts not to, sometimes, um, despite you know want, wants to certainly from a mental health point. And once again, I you know I'm name checking Rugby League cares here as an organisation that you know, wants to take best practice, wants to, wants to learn from, 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 a, from a global approach to mental health and actually wants to lead on that. And in a number of ways, I, th- I think cares do a, a grand job. They absolutely do. Um, but in, 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 terms of, in, in terms of where it comes from, I, I think, you know, I, I put in my dissertation, I said that, you know, rugby league is almost like the dance of the working class. In sport, it is. It's almost it's invulnerability brought to life, and, it, and it, it's almost a, it's almost a, a happy, and joyous symptom of, of of where we came from and what we did. And it, you watch rugby league, and and you listen to rugby league crowds, and there's so much that's indistinguishable from when I was growing up as a lad watching Bradford in, in the 1980s. The, the conversations are still the same. The, 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 the whole The whole pomp and ceremony around the game is still very much the same because it, it it's it's steeped in values and traditions and, le- and linguistics and ideas and biases that still very much come from when 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 those dark satanic mills were still pumping out, God knows what. and so it, it's 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 still there and and, and although the mills have closed and although the mines have shut and although the docks have gone, it's still there. And I think Rugby League is the, one of the last vestiges of, of those environments, really. And so it's no, it's no wonder that in terms of its traditions and its, its challenges around pro- progression and, and a progressive attitude in mental health, that it would find that a particular challenge. But that's something that is being challenged now through, through organisations such as, such as Rugby League Cares state of mind and also you know clubs themselves who who have become more and more aware of the fact that they're taking players from environments that sometimes can lead to that player struggling
0: one of the issues uh, when players really do struggle is as their career comes to an end and there's a um, obviously huge issue when players either retire or they realize that they're going to have to retire because uh, they can no longer play play like they could. How does how does your work inform that perspective of players transitioning to a completely different life in many ways? Because obviously, you know, if you're a good rugby league player, normally you've been spotted by the age of thirteen or fourteen, and your life has been on that track. You've been committed to that that career. You've had a you know a greater or lesser um, level of success, and then all of a sudden that's pulled away from you, that, that must have a, uh, uh, you know, that in itself is life-changing over and above the life-changing circumstances you find yourself in.
1: Absolutely. And I I coined this phrase in my dissertation and I went mad, Tony, I I googled it and googled it and googled it to make sure it hadn't been said before. (laughs) And I coined this phrase, grief, the idea that we can go through a grief and a loss, a death of self, because if, if I am not this thing, if I am not, him or her on that field doing what I'm—I derive my sense of worth from my my sense of uh, remuneration, my um, my ego boost, my um, my plaudits, and this is my skill. It may be it may be depending on other studies that we've done. It may be something that we consider to be our only skill. When that's gone, if I'm not that, who am I? And I—I I heard Keith Senior say that phrase in an interview when when his really career finished. If I'm not that guy out on Headingley in front of 20,000 fans scorching down, down the left flank. Who am I if I'm not that? And so there's, the, there's, the, there's that well-said phrase that sports people die twice. And you better believe it. They go through the full five stages of the Kubler-Ross methodology of grief. They, go, they hit every one. And if you can get to acceptance, you are lucky. But a lot of people sit with anger. They sit with depression. They sit with denial. And it can be really painful for them. And this is where other things such as addiction, other, other seeking, other ways to seek that high, to seek that sense of numbing. And you'll find a lot of players who come out of the career in staring hard at the career that was maybe successful. Once again, if you're lucky, um, if it was successful, staring at that brings too much pain. And so we find ways to numb through alcohol, through gambling, through drug addiction. And I think the game is in a better spot now than ever. In acknowledging that reality, however, it's you know free will is is a nightmare, and people will still make choices that ultimately and tragically can can lead to some really difficult outcomes and and, and ultimate outcomes too. And so, for my work, it's about acknowledging about creating an environment and a space where uh, athletes or anyone who goes through this—for athletes, read people who've you know gone through. Uh, retirement after being forty, fifty years, and in sometimes in, in in vocations that they've loved and they feel that have loved them—that's their identity. It's accepting the fact that 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 part of their life is over, and that is to be treated as a grief of sorts, a meta grief where no one dies, and yet there is a death. And it's it's um, it's just about grinding people in reality and and taking them away from the, the denial that you know every, every rugby player still got one last game in them, and. You know, I'm 41 and I've absolutely no business being anywhere near a rugby league field, but give give, give me the chance and opportunity and permission from my partner. I'm off. I'm off like a, a hare. because it's in there. It's a disease. We've still got it. And when you are supremely successful for that, for having that disease that is rugby league, it, you want to continue to have it. And it's and it's it, it's really painful for players. Really painful. I
0: wonder whether some of this has got something to do with work, because obviously now, for the past 25-odd years, players have been full-time professional at the top level. In the past, players were, you know, the vast majority of them were was, was semi-professional, they had full-time jobs. And so that transition would have been somewhat easier. That's not to gloss over it, but basically... You're still working the same job. It's just that you don't have to go out and trade on Tuesday and Thursday nights and don't get smacked around on a Sunday. it's now, if you're a full-time professional, that is it. You've got to find something different. And I think, it's, we again, we're coming back to this issue about the world of work that we've left behind. That in an era when Rugby League was formed, when it was in its heyday, it was about industrial, working-class people who worked regular jobs and to be very good at rugby and so they had that time out whereas now that doesn't exist they they, there isn't that continuity of career you're a full-time professional and then all of a sudden you stop and then all your vulnerabilities come to the fore you know in the most graphic way because for a lot of players they have to think of another job to do they have to retrain for a completely new career that they probably never thought about before
1: I I can't disagree with that Tony and I think um, how we transition and assimilate from one to another um, is critical to our mental health and I think if people are running a, a parallel job um, and a rugby career as they were up to the mid-90s and, and some people still do in, in, in outside of Super League I would, I would imagine although I wouldn't want to speak without empirical research that that, that, that transition is a lot easier and I've spoken to players who who have said that and I uh, I know a, a couple personally who've said the fact that I had the job meant that I just didn't do the other one, and it, it felt easier. And, and, and when rugby became something that was going to stop me doing the work that probably sometimes paid me more because of injury, then it ends up being an evaluation of which one is which one is worth doing. But uh, just an extension of that, not only are players is there so much pressure on a player to perform now as when it's their only job, but they're doing that in a, in a globalized world with social media and scrutiny, and although it's switching codes, uh, I, I, I'm sure you'll see um, what was just a wonderful moment of vulnerability from Kyle Sinclair when he became quite emotional when he had not got picked on the Lions tour and he was asked how he felt, and he said how he felt. He felt disappointed, he felt sad, he choked up, he physically, visibly choked up. For me, watching that as a sports fan, I went, that's a guy who loves what he does and he's really disappointed. It reminds me of the little boy as a little boy, not getting picked. And, and, and that's why we wanted to play the sport in the first place. Yet the response from the rugby paper, the rugby paper in Rugby Union, was uh, Sinclair, ang- Sinclair, Sinclair angry at Lions. He absolutely wasn't. He felt some anger, but he also felt, he felt some sadness. He felt really pleased for the teammates had been picked. He said that he was really glad that he'd got the people around him that that supported him because it was a really difficult time. But he showed that he cared because that's how important that job is. But actually, the passion for doing that job really is. And and actually, until we start to acknowledge people's humanity, it's always going to be really difficult to be vulnerable. And it's always going to be really difficult to to have so much pressure placed on a job where, although rugby league is an inherently invulnerable sport when performed, you're vulnerable every time you go out on that field because that can be our last game. You know, there's not many people who sit, at their, who sit at their office desk who think, my God, I could get injured today and not be able to do this job anymore. It's so unique. The sport of rugby league and and professional sport, contact sport is so unique. And you are vulnerable to circumstances that are outside of your control every time you go on that field. And so doing that with people for whom have never been in the arena, who never ever played the sport and yet are free to comment, that's really difficult for the modern player and it, and, and is a reason why players don't open up. One of
0: the things I found um, both insightful but also incredibly shocking in your thesis was the when you look at suicide rates and how in the regions where rugby league is played, there's almost in every place a much higher than the national average of male suicide rates. And which... Including Perpignan, which was complete shock to me in in France, with uh, obviously uh, uh, the Dragons play. Um, but it, it, again, it, it brings you back to this question of class, doesn't it? That they, these are places where they're predominantly working class towns, post industrial towns, and it's almost as if the the changes that have been you know t- that have taken place over the past thirty or forty years they themselves have had this tremendous effect on on working-class people's mental health, um, regardless of whether they're rugby league players or whether they're interested in sport or not.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And and I think what's to say is that although the the nature of our working-class towns has changed in terms of industry, the removal of the, that industry has actually precipitated quite a mental health epidemic. And, and so why we would you know 20 30 40 years ago looked at those statistics if they were they've been the same and said this must be something to do with industry and whatever and now now I, you know you know I, my mother grew up in, in in hemsworth um which is a town ravaged by a little town ravaged by depriva- deprivation and, and difficulties based on the fact that the, the the pillars of the community i.e the pits which left about sort of, 20 30 years ago are no longer there and actually where is the meaning? Where is the purpose? Where is the, where is the sense of ambition? For a lot of people, people are not born into areas for, for where ambition is, is staring them in the face. In fact, the counterpoint, where I'm extraordinarily proud of my, of my northern roots and northern towns right across Yorkshire and Lancashire, and I, you know, I've got some great friends over in, in Lancastrian towns as well, it stares us in the face the fact that the removal of those industries um, has impacted upon working-class areas disproportionately and as a consequence those those stats a a huge indictment on things outside of rugby league but nevertheless this is the environment in which rugby league players grow up in
0: We're coming towards the end now so just as a a kind of final question well two aspects to it really rugby league obviously plays in the communities where it's strong rugby league plays an incredibly important role what can what more can the game do in order to overcome the mental health crisis that we're that we're looking at. And as a further question to you, how are you going to take your work forward in particular?
1: Well to, to answer the first part of that, I think the game's doing a lot of what it can. I, I certainly would love to be involved in, in in supporting the game in any way, shape or form that I could from a from a psychotherapeutic and counselling and clinical perspective in doing so and play my small part in that. There's no doubt about it. However, I think in term, in terms of it's, it's a cradle-to-grave situation, I think, with the Rugby League. And I think you have to look after players coming in. You have to understand the, the environments from which they come. And we have to be mindful of that. I think a denial of the roots, origins, socioeconomic background, some of the struggles, some of the prejudices that and and, and difficulties that players may have grown up in and around the environments in which Rugby League is played. I think to ignore that is to, is to deny is to deny a player a chance to optimize and to actualize into the player that you sign them to be. And so we have to be a lot more person centered. We have to, we have to be nurturing. We have to be caring. We have to create environments in which players can be vulnerable, which players can access help when they need it in order to do that thing on the field that excites us as fans that we love, but actually is a small part of a player's life. But if we end up co opting in vulnerability as a way of being to deny our The the pain and the circumstances which a lot of players have grown up in, or the fear of retiring, then actually we're doing our players and we're doing our game a huge disservice. So, looking after players when they come in and actually looking after players when they go out, and that's something that cares. And a number of organizations now, you know, state of mind have have been doing a little bit of this around transition as well. I heard Libri is talking about this. Um, You know, how you transition out of the game safely and securely, how the game acknowledges and pays tribute to your. your contributions be you a super league player or otherwise and and how you are supported to assimilate back into society that's nothing like the society the microcosm in which you've been living because rugby league is a weird strange environment full of weird strange fruit that i love i've got that bug i I absolutely love it but when you yeah, but when you get out there and when you go back into a working a working world and start mixing with people for your, whom your status or your, your lived experience as a rugby league player doesn't hold value or currency because they've not grown up in that environment. That can be really difficult. And so we have to support players to make that transition safely and ethically. And I think that is, you know, if we are looking after players as they come in, we're building humans. We're not just building players. And if we transition them out, we're making sure that they're supported in terms of where I go well I don't know really um obviously I've I've published a paper I I, I'm hoping to be involved in in the in the game from a clinical perspective both privately but also strategically hopefully down the line with with a few things um sort of going on and uh, you know I'm excited about that but you know at the moment I I run two clinics I've got a clinic in York a a counselling and sports psychotherapy so I am a day-to-day counsellor I see people of from all backgrounds men women young people older people um with a variety of different from a variety of different backgrounds as well as sports people as well which is my passion then obviously i do my work with mentality there's also as uh, you know stevie wards mentality organization which is an amazing organization and they're doing some great work and yeah and am are and their associate psychotherapist there as well and so there is a, a real opportunity i mean the paper's not been out very long and you know i I'm really grateful for the comments and the support that I've had from the rugby league community. And hopefully that transitions into something that I could create the basis for, for further work. I'm really excited about it. But where it goes, I don't know. But uh, that's been vulnerable, isn't it? I guess. Uh, it's a risk writing that. I'm having a go and I'm I'm not in full control of that, but at least I've dared greatly. So I'm kind I'm kinda of happy with I'm happy with my lot at the moment, Tony, and I'm looking to sort of develop and uh, increase my, um, the amount of input and enthusiasm and clinical expertise that I hope I can provide to the game that I love. So, fingers crossed.
0: Excellent. Well, on the um, on the motto of today greatly, which I uh, wholeheartedly endorse, I think we'll, we'll wrap up there and say, thanks, John. It's been absolutely fascinating. And although it's slightly different from what Rugby Reloaded's done in the past, I'm sure it's there's a link with all the historical stuff that that I've spoken about in the past, I think, and the way in which culture influences a sport and the people who are in that sport. This is one of the many aspects of that. So so thanks very much. It's been it's been incredibly interesting. For listeners, if you want to find out more about John's work, take a look at his website at www.johnbellcounseling.co.uk and his Twitter handle is at jbellcounselor. My Twitter handle is at colin Tony and my website is www.rubbyrelodded.com where you can find a complete archive of episodes about the history of rugby and the other football codes. So until next week, thanks for listening.